I think he just put the exclamation point on what he gave me this morning. I, I, I told you guys as we were doing the opening stuff, opening stuff I just I, I feel something today. You know, it's there's there's a joy, there's there's an excitement. And we may not have the crowds we've had this morning the last couple of weeks, but I know there's a lot that are watching online and and I believe that God is speaking and he's got something we want to say. I've been pondering this for uh can I use the word ponder? You know, I don't know that it's used that often anymore, but I've been pondering this kind of for, for weeks and I guess really kind of a couple of months, just seeing everything that has been transpiring around us and, and have come to the realization, and I just had this phrase stuck in my head, matter of time. You know, it's a matter of time is a phrase we have heard probably most of our lives. What it means is simply sooner or later that this thing is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. You know, as, as an elementary age kid, I remember that my parents had this annoying habit of on Sunday afternoons, after church, we would go out to eat, and then we would go home, and my brother and I were forced to take naps because mom and dad wanted one. And I used to complain about that. And I remember my mom and dad saying, it's just a matter of time until you'll be there. Guess what? I'm there. I also remember being told to eat my veggies. Didn't want them. Didn't like them. Was told it's a matter of time until your taste buds change. Guess what? I like most of them now. I also remember, this is probably my favorite one, being on the playground at school and there was this thing that all of us feared, cooties. I remember being told that one of these days, you won't be afraid of cooties anymore. It will change and you will like them. Well, guess what? I have been in a covenant cootie relationship for almost 34 years, and I love it. It was. It was just a matter of time. But on another note, I've heard for years preachers talking about end times. I remember as a young man growing up in church and the preacher would come in and they would talk and they talk about Jesus' return was imminent. It could happen at any moment and they would make that case. And I can't tell you as a young man how many times I gave my life to Jesus again because the person that was preaching scared me. I remember thinking that there were times that I thought to myself that I really kind of gauged where my relationship was with Christ as to whether or not the rapture sermon scared me or excited me. And so we talk about these things and we say that it's just a matter of time. Well, I've come to the realization that it truly is a matter of time. I think we all ought to put on our calendars warning 
Objects on the prophetic calendar are closer than they appear. Because if you look around and you read the signs of the times, it is like all of a sudden something has shifted. And some of the things that I used to know that the scripture talked about, the prophecies that were out there, that I used to say, yeah, one of these days, it's a matter of time, those things are going to come to pass. But they just seem so out there and so so far away and, and so hard to get to. But there's so many of those things now. I look around and I say, you know what? We're not that far from that being a possibility. So I decided to do a series on It's a matter of time. Paul, to his letter in the church of Rome, Romans 13, 11, said this. said, besides this, know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Boy, if there's not a, it's a matter of time scripture, this is it. And I thought about that. Wake from the sleep. We live in a time that woke is the new word. Right? It seems to be the word of the day. Well, I say it's high time. The church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, the light of the world, the salt of this earth begins to wake up and becomes woke ourselves to the fact that the time is drawing near and we better get back about the business of being the church. We become so concerned about offending people. We become more concerned, I think, with with not necessarily just us, but I'm just talking as a whole. We become more concerned with filling the pews. We become more concerned with the attendance numbers. We become more concerned with having the right amount of offerings that we have compromised in so many ways that I think it's led to part of where we're at today. You know, when it comes to spiritual purpose, when it comes to equipping the saints for service, when it comes to winning souls, those are the things that somehow, I don't think it was intentional, but somehow kind of got slid a little bit into the background. But the truth is, if we're honest, it has never been about the color of the skin. It has never been about the type of uniform that somebody wears. I've really thought about, you know, boy, I'd probably get in a lot of trouble, but I've really thought about coming up with t-shirts and just say, souls matter. Because that's what the kingdom of heaven has always been about, souls. So all week I've just had this burden. It's just been, it's been all over me. And, and I've been praying and I've been kind of, you know, just, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? Lord, I, I feel like that I'm supposed to, to, to do this series. And, and, and to be honest with you, I don't have it all fleshed out yet. I'm, we're still in dialogue. But I do know this. I know that it's time for the gloves to come off. It's time for us to become the church again. And so as we head into this series, as I was working it on and fleshing it out and praying this week, I really am starting in a place that I really didn't anticipate being the starting place for this. I ended up in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount, or we call it the Beatitudes. And he talks about things, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Blessed are those who mourn. He talks about the meek will inherit the earth. You live in a day and time where, where I've heard people say that, you know, yeah, the meek can have it after we're done with it and get the leftovers. What they don't know is we get the new recreated one that's perfect. That's the one we inherit. Talks about those that are hunger and thirst. Talks about the merciful, the pure in heart, that they shall see God. He talks about the peacemakers. We talked about that just a little bit ago. He talks about the persecuted. And you know what? It has hit me that all of a sudden, even though I thought I'd never see it, we're not that far from persecution even here in this own in our own nation. Not that I'm looking for that. But we better be doing a little bit of self-examination and say, how am I going to respond if it comes to that point? Those are things we need to be talking about and praying about. But where I ended up is right after Jesus talks about blessed are those. The very next thing he says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So this morning we're going to talk about a little bit about being salt and light. I give today's message the title, Time to Shine. It is a matter of time, and now is the time for us as believers and the church to rise up and to shine. So here's the, the whole thing brought down to one statement that you ought to be able to remember. We need to be salt and light in this tasteless world of night. Be salt and light in this tasteless world of night. It's where we are. And we've got to rise up and we've got to be the salt and we've got to be the light. So how do we do that? I broke it down to three things. We're supposed to be salty, we're supposed to be shiny, and we're supposed to be reflective. So let's look at that for a moment. Salty. Salty is kind of a word that, that's used for somebody that's a little scrappy, Right? But Jesus kind of defines it different there. He says that we are to be the salt of the earth. That's kind of a little bit of a different statement. When somebody says something about somebody being salt of the earth, <clears throat> that's a compliment. That is somebody that's considered to be, to be humble, that's, that's, that's down to earth, that has a, a, a level mindset, and they're consistent, and they're dependable, and they're honest. Guess what? That's what we should be. That's something that should be able to be said about every single one of us. The problem is that there's become so many agendas other than God's. There's too much complacency with what's going on around us in the world. There's this... And if you look at it, and you really take it down when Jesus is saying this, this was the condition of the religious leadership of his day. There was a church in place. There was priests and all those things in leadership of the church. And yet, isn't it interesting that the leadership of the church at the time is the ones that had the biggest problem with Jesus? 
Why? They had other agendas than the kingdom of heaven. Is that really so much different from today? We consider ourselves the New Testament church. But yet sometimes we do let our own agendas get in the way. Just like the church of his day wasn't doing what it was intended to do, too often the church of today is not doing what it was intended to do. So Jesus uses this illustration. He talks about salt. The stuff that we sit in little shakers on the table. But what is it about salt? Well, we use it as it's probably the number one seasoning, right? And as the church and as his people, we should be those that flavor the life around us. We should be those that season things and make things a little more tolerable, a little more palatable. That, 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 if, that we are, are so salty, or salt of the earth in the way that we follow him, that, that everything we touch is flavored a little bit different. That everything we touch, that we, that we make a difference, that it matters that we're there. Salt is preservative as well. Guess what our role is? We should be the ones that are preserving the culture and the heritage and the things of God's word and, and, and be the ones that are standing up that as the world drifts further and further away, we're the ones that stand up and say, hey guys, we're getting off course here. We're supposed to be the preservative. We're the ones that represent the morality in our culture. And I realize that the more we stand up and do that, the more we're going to hear that you guys are old-fashioned. You guys are out of touch. You guys just, just don't get it anymore. Well, I do know this. Nowhere in here was there an expiration date on what he laid out as the way we're supposed to do life. In addition, salt has health benefits. Did you know that? Anybody that's a rancher knows that, that you put out a salt lick for your cattle, right? And so I got curious. What what because they're they're concerned to may want to make sure that the that the animals have the salt in their system that they need. So I got to, I just looked it up. I thought, well, okay, so what happens if our bodies has a little bit doesn't have enough salt in our bloodstream? Did you know that as your salt level gets too low in your bloodstream, that literally one of the symptoms is your personality changes? As it progresses, you become lethargic and confused. If it gets severely low in the blood, that it can even cause seizures, coma, and death. So yes, there's a reason that you are mostly water and salt. But think about that. You know, here we are. There's, there's an element in our society that wants to completely move us salt of the earth people out of the picture. Everywhere they can, they're, they're trying to remove us. They're trying to get our influence out of things. No wonder the personality of this nation is changing. Because 
they're expelling those of us that are supposed to be the salt of the earth. But here's the great news. Salt also creates thirst. Eat a lot of salty stuff and see if you don't want something to drink, right? If we're doing our job right, if we're salty like we're supposed to be, we should be creating a spiritual thirst in those around us. We ourselves should be more thirsty for him. You know, individual Christians and churches that lose their saltiness, they become flavorless. In the book of Revelation, Jesus also calls them lukewarm. And the interesting thing is the original word for lukewarm means that they become foolish. The original word for for flavorless in here means they become foolish. And this condition, what does it do? When we get there and we become and we're not salty anymore or we're lukewarm, guess what it does? All of a sudden we begin to restrict the movement of the Holy Spirit in our services and in our lives. Like I said when they were singing that song about a flame that I can't control, we're too guilty, all of us, of saying, Lord, send the flame, but let me have a little control. Now, I'm not talking about out of control service. We know that Paul said that everything should be done decently and in order. If God is in it, there's an order and there's a purpose for it and it leads somewhere. Just like what happened this morning, set up what the Lord had given me. But this condition, what it does is it suppresses, it restricts the activity of the Holy Spirit. And without, and without it, the, the church and the people, we begin to lose our saltiness. And as a result, Christians are not seasoned with salt. And guess what? We're trampled underfoot. And right now, our society is running over the church. Because we're not operating in the power we were intended to operate in. So here's the question. Can we be made salty again? We can't make it happen, but he can. We should be seasoned with salt in a world, in a place that wants to make us bland. Oh, you guys can have your church. Just stay over here in your corner. Don't do anything to offend anybody. Don't challenge the status quo. You know, don't you dare stand up and say that we can't do this or that because this book says so. So the question is, are you salty? I ran across this. I thought this was so great. Did you know there's a street sign in Vienna, Austria. Now, this is a this is a a a, a town that is known for its beautiful winters and, and 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 just people being able to to go there. And it makes this statement: There's a literally a sign that the German, when translated on the sign, says this: "Welcome to Vienna, where the salt is in the salt shaker." What they're saying is. We want to preserve our winter, wintry beautifulness so we don't salt the streets. 
too many churches. Welcome to our church where the salt is in the salt shaker. We don't get it out in the streets. Somehow, we've got to change that. See, the church has the same problem. We need to get it out of the salt shaker and into the streets. Because Jesus told us to. Matter of fact, it's one of the last things he said to his apostles. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That sounds like the streets to me. See, he's not called us to be bumps on the pews. He's called us to get out and do's. We're supposed to be salt and light in this tasteless world of night. Moving on, I could ride that horse for a while. Matthew 5, 14 and 15. Jesus moving on says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. So we're supposed to be shiny. We're supposed to be light. Kaylee, on my all-time favorite sci-fi show, says, stay shiny. We need to stay shiny. Too often, well, I won't get in trouble now. Too often, we're more, more concerned about being light on the scales than being light to the world. Jesus' time, people, what do they have? You know, we, we have houses now. We're so blessed. We can walk in. I mean, there's lights everywhere. You walk into this room and you flip a switch and the light comes on. We've even got some of our lights set up where all we have to do is walk in the room and say, Hey, Alexa. Matter of fact, for VeggieTale fans, Kim named her lamp Lampy. <laughs> so she literally walks in the bedroom and says, Hey, Alexa, turn on Lampy and Lampy comes on. <laughs> We kind of had fun with that. But we should be providing light in a, in a, in a spiritually dark condition because they didn't have lights like we had. They had these little, little clay vessels that they poured oil in and it had a little wick that they lit and it burned olive oil. And that was the lamp they had to, to light their homes. You know what? We should be those little vessels of clay. The scripture tells us that we were formed from clay by his hands. And when we were saved, he poured the oil of the spirit in us. And on the day of Pentecost, he lit that fire. And we need to be the lamps to the world around us. We need to let the Holy Spirit shine out through us. Ephesians 5.8. I love this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
You know one of the things that jumped out to me that I never really paid attention to before? If you look at it, you notice it says you once were darkness. Every translation I looked at had either said that you were darkness or you were full of darkness. None of them that I looked at, and I didn't look at every single one out there, but I looked at quite a few. What they didn't say is you were once in darkness. They say you were once darkness or you were once full of darkness. What's he saying? He's saying that was your nature. That was who you are or who you were. But now you are light. We're supposed to be light. We're supposed to shine. We're supposed to stand out. I remember when I was in middle school and even some in high school, the, the pressure to fit in. And I remember, I mean, I was raised in church my whole life, but I, I'll be honest, there were times I gave in to the pressure there was because I so wanted to fit in with everybody else. But at some point, there came a point that I said, you know what? That doesn't work. I've got to stand up. I've got to be who I am. And that means I'm going to be different. That means I'm going to stand out. And that's just what I need to do. Kind of like the little boy that went to the doctor. I've used this before, but it's too good not to use again. And the doctor's examining him. The doctor gets the stethoscope out, and he's trying to keep the little boy from being nervous. And he says, he says now hold still. I'm going to listen in here and see if there's any bunnies in there. The little boy says, there's no bunnies in there. Jesus is in there. And the doctor trying to come back and be a little funny and says, well, if Jesus is in there, isn't he so big he would stick out? The little boy leaned back and said, he's supposed to. We're, he's supposed to stick out in our life. We're supposed to be the light of the world. You know what? You can't hide light in the darkness. And it doesn't take much. You ever been in a place where it's just absolutely pitch black? I mean, your phone, a, a, a match, any little thing you can find that gives off the least bit of light just all of a sudden makes the hugest difference. And our lives should stand out. It should shine out because we are light. New Brunswick, there's a church building on a little island called Deer Island. Deer Island. And... For years, long before, it's it's a fisher village, and for years, long before, they have all, because now we got all these GPS and all these electronic equipment to let us know exactly where we are. I mean, you can navigate the ocean and and seas and things now, kind of like we can drive on, on our highways. It just lets you know exactly where you are in relation to everything, and that's pretty cool, but that didn't used to be the case. The interesting thing about this particular community is they didn't have a lighthouse, but what the fishermen would use is because this church sit up hundreds of feet on this hill and its steeple stood out that for years and years and years, the fishermen would use the light from the church to navigate their way back after being out fishing. Isn't that a picture of what God's church was intended to be? 
that we were intended to be that light. We were intended to be that thing that stood out, that was a place that when people found themselves, I've got to find my way back home. I've got to find my way back to the way I think I need to be, that the church was the place that they looked. But if the church looks like the rest of the world around it, how are they going to find that place to come to? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The seed on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. You know, lost people need to find their way because when they're in the darkness, they stumble, they fall. But if there's a light that they can focus on, they will come. Jesus also says that no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket or a bushel. I used to sing that when I was a kid in children's church. This little light I'm on, of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bush. No! I'm going to let it shine. You know, in, in the homes of Jesus' day, they didn't have a lot of windows. They didn't have a lot of stuff. And so you didn't, you didn't, you probably didn't have a house full of lights. You probably had one, maybe two lamps, and you just carried that with you. And whenever you walked in the area, you put it up in the most prominent place where it spread the most light possible. But yet we have too many people that want to be stealth undercover Christians. They want to just get by. But as long as I can squeak into heaven, and as long as I you know, don't stand out too much so I can get along with these people, and, and we try to find that place. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I didn't always, I know Pastor Nate's probably different, but I didn't always ace every test. I didn't. Partially because sometimes I just didn't want to put forth the effort. The funny thing is, when, when, I, when I finally got the calling and realized that this is what I was supposed to do, I aced all those tests <laughs> because it mattered. But we're supposed to shine. We're supposed to stand out. We're not supposed to hide. We're not supposed to just get by. I don't want to just make it into heaven. I want to arrive in heaven. I want that welcome. I want that well done, good and faithful servant. You know what else? I... I, I, I'm not going to do it today, but I, I preached the message years ago. What's better than heaven and what's worse than hell? What's better than heaven? Taking somebody with you when you go. You know what's worse than hell? Taking somebody with you when you go. <laughs> That's a thought, right? But the idea of covering the light to them would be a ridiculous notion. And so many times, please understand what I'm saying. So many times we want to focus on our private, personal holiness. 
And we want, yes, we should seek God. Yes, we should be holy. We should, there are some ways we should separate ourselves, but we should not separate ourselves to the point that we have no contact or no place for our light to shine to those that are lost. We got to get that salt out of the shaker and into the streets. We don't need to be quiet when we should speak up. We don't need to go along with the crowd. We don't need to, when the pressure's on, deny the light. We don't need to let sin dim our light. We don't need, you know, to walk away. We get when God opens the door for us to have a chance to explain things and lay out the gospel, and we're probably all guilty of this, or we're having a conversation with some with somebody, and somebody says something that opens the door wide open for us to step in and witness, and we back out and find our way to not. When that door opens. It's time to shine. It's time to shine. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemished in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights of the world. You didn't know salt and light and all this is all through this book, like right? Because we are supposed to be salt and light in this tasteless world of night. But lastly, not only is, is God intended and focused for us to be salty and shiny, we're supposed to be reflective. Let's look at it here. And it's a verse right here, verse 16 says this in the same way let your light shine before others so that you may so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven we're supposed to be reflective we're supposed to be as a polished mirror ever been out in the deep woods on a full moon night last night we were we were here and and the, it was so cool looking because right there where the fireworks were getting ready to go off, there was just a little few little wispies of clouds, and there was this beautiful, full, round moon sitting right there, big and glowing bright. And, and, and from our vantage point, the fireworks were going up and exploding right to the left. It was beautiful. It was incredible. And the coolest thing about the moon is, is it's amazing if you're in a completely dark place and there's a full moon, it's amazing how well you can see. Scripture says that God created a light to, co- to govern the night. The moon was put there for a purpose. Basically, <clears throat> I guess God was into disco because he created the first mirror ball. I mean, think about it. He, he hung it up there. And it's reflective. And it's, and it's, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's powerful. And the great thing is, is it's positioned just right at certain times where we get the full reflection, where it's, where it's positioned, where even though we're, it's, we're on the other side and the sun is hitting the other side of the earth, it's positioned just right where that light hits the moon and reflects back on us. 
And we can see in the midst of the darkness. We should live our lives so polished that we reflect the light of the sun into a dark world. That we position ourselves in proper alignment with him to get the most impact. And when we do, we can certainly be the brightest light in the darkest night. How do we do this? We do this by mirroring what Jesus did. Isn't that the greatest? Think about this. Jesus met people's needs, not just walking around calling them out for their sin. See, too many, we we see being, uh, boy, I'm going to get in trouble here, but we see so many people going around in the world and, and they think that they're being a witness by pointing out and calling out everybody else's flaws. I have known people and seen churches that they thought holiness was being able to call out everybody else's faults and somehow the more faults you could call out in somebody else, the holier you were. That's not what God intended. That's not what he's talking about. Look at Jesus. I mean, the most holy there ever was. The one who came and was crucified. Yes, we should preach Jesus. Yes, we should preach him crucified. But we should also have compassion like he did. Think about the lady that was caught in the act of adultery. Something like a motorcycle or something anyway. <clears throat> is that? Oh, is there? Okay. Well, hold on. I guess I better finish up before the lights go out, right? But think about this. Jesus caught, Jesus, this lady was caught in the act of adultery. According to the law, she was supposed to be stoned. Now, why the guy was left alone, I have no idea. That's a whole other story for another time. But there she was, guilty. The punishment was the punishment that was laid out. All these people were ready to, to pronounce judgment. Who saved her? Jesus. I want you to notice something. He dealt with her physical need, and, which was being, her life being saved, before he dealt with her sin. Neither do I condemn you. He saved her life, but then said, Now go and sin no more. See, that's what we're supposed to do. Missionaries all over the world have have discovered if you go in and there's a village or an area where the people are starving, feed them first, meet their physical needs first, and they will be open to listening to the gospel. When they're standing there starving to death, well, what you need is Jesus. You know what I need is a hot dog. <laughs> I guess I got hot dogs in my mind from last night. But. but isn't that what we're supposed to do? 
You know, if you want to clean up a neighborhood, clean up a neighborhood, then worry about cleaning up the souls. Help them do that. Yes, there is true injustice going on in the world. Let's help clean that up too. But then, once we've loved them, let's be salt and light. <clears throat> I, this is a longer passage of Scripture, but I'm going to end with this. And I don't know much else needs to be said after this. But Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 10, it's kind of a little bit longer passage, but talk about laying it all out there perfectly as to what we are supposed to be as believers. The prophet Isaiah nailed it. He says this, Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless and poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then you shall light, then your light, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call on the Lord and the Lord will answer and you shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you will pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. He's saying this is the fast. This is what his church is supposed to be. I know all of this is heavy, but it's time the church rises up and becomes the light in this taste, salt and light in this tasteless world of night. It's time we do it. And you know what? I know as I'm speaking this morning, there's probably not a single one of us that would say, you're right, we need to do that. How many would say that? We need to do that. So I'm going to be looking for every one of you the next time we announce an outreach. <laughs> it's time we put practicality to it. Oh, you can do cookouts. Let's go love on some people. Well, let's three go do this. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit on both ends, but you know what I'm saying. At some point, we've got to get in the game. At some point, we've got to become the salt and light that we're supposed to be. We need to be people that are full of His Spirit. It is time we rise up. It is time we step out. We do not, we do not lack any resource. We do not lack any empowerment. God said that He, that he has that for us. I was reading this week because we're so scared sometimes. I was reading this week 
prophet Jeremiah. And I love it where the Lord says to him, where he says, and the Lord touched my lips and said, I am putting my words in your mouth. Shouldn't we all be saying, Lord, you call me to be salt and light. Touch these lips. Put your words in my mouth. Scripture declares that we shouldn't worry about what we're going to say beforehand, that the Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us if we will step in when the opportunity arises. Let's be salt and light. How many of you be willing to pray a dangerous prayer this morning? You'd be willing to say, Lord, I'm gonna, I know it has nothing to do with salt, it kind of has to do with light. But I'm going to back up. How many of you say, Lord, sit a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control so that I can rise up and be what I'm supposed to be? I know we can't already pray that, but how many of you would say this morning, Lord, that's me. Lord, I want you to set me ablaze. I want you to do something more. I want you to do something different. I can't just sit on the sidelines and do the same old thing anymore because if you do what you've always done, you get what you always got. It's time. It's a matter of time. You know what? We used to say that someday God's going to send revival. Someday this is going to happen. Well, I believe that God is going to send revival during this time. But I believe that the time is now. And it may not look like we think it's going to be. You know what I used to think? I used to picture revival that all of a sudden something happens and the whole world and the whole community gets saved and people are lined up at the doors and we're having all this time and people are flooding in and they're getting saved, they're getting healed and all these things happening. And I believe that that's going to happen but it may be that it happens at the same time where there's disaster going on all around us and we better be ready for that and be willing to stand up anyway because I've been praying in my own life Lord I may not know exactly what's coming or what it's going to look like but Lord I'm asking you Give me what I need in that moment to stand even if it means my life. We better be prepared. But here's the good news. Several people that I know and trust, not, not, and not just talking about this church, but have had dreams of people lined up at the doors to get into the churches. It may Our finest hour may come in the midst of disaster to this nation. But if that's what it takes, he's playing the big picture because souls matter. And we had better be ready to stand. So once again, who would pray that dangerous prayer? Lord, set me on fire. Let's pray that together. Pray it anyway. Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, I know that this word that you've given me is kind of a heavy word. But Lord, we need to be set ablaze again. We need a fire down on our soul. We need to realize that souls matter and that you called us to, to, Lord, to be witnesses, Lord, from where we are to the ends of the earth. 
And Lord, it's time for us to rise up. It's time for us not to be so concerned about this thing and that thing in our life, but Lord, to realize that we need to be salt and light everywhere we go, that we need to get the salt out of the salt shaker and into the streets. Lord, mobilize us. Help us. Give us creative ideas. And help us to do it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I have one more thing to do before we dismiss. I want to read a passage of Scripture. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I know that that's our family business. God calls some to be teachers. God calls some to be pastors. And God does incredible work. And sometimes when he calls, that means the uncomfortable the uncomfortable thing of moving from one place where you're very comfortable to a place where you're not so comfortable. And shifts take place. So at this time, I'm going to invite Pastor Nate and Jenny to come up front. We got a handheld mic close by. Where is it? I think they're all were put down. If we can get a microphone real fast, I don't see one up here. I'm gonna let Pastor Nate share something. Sure. So, um, well, Jenny and I have uh, have been on a. A journey over the last what uh, eight months or so, um, God's been doing uh, a work in our family, and we've known that there's a, a big transition that uh, He wanted to do, and uh, that has been uh, heavy on our hearts. here unless God shook the ground underneath my feet and uh, he did and uh, so uh, we've been we've been on our knees praying for quite some time and uh, in that process uh, we have uh, come to terms with the reality that God wanted us to move to sell our home and uh, to pursue him to give up all that we were comfortable with and all that that we had to follow him and uh, so uh, what we're announcing here today is that Jenny and I have been elected as lead pastors over a church in Oklahoma City. And so we will be here with you guys uh, for the next couple weeks. We, our last Sunday will be on July 19th. And uh, so we would like for you to all be here uh, if you can, if you can make it that Sunday, and we're going to have uh, a, a time afterwards of, of greeting and, and saying our goodbyes, and, uh, and uh, so 
we want to, to let you guys know that we do care about you. And yeah. the hardest thing in this whole process is, is leaving here and leaving our friends and our family. And uh, so if you would continue to keep us in your prayers and, uh, and, and, and sure us up in that because uh, we're walking into uh, new territory, uh, uncharted territory for us. But we know that the Lord is with us and he's called us uh, during this time. Do you want to say anything? I just want to say thank you for taking us in and... For loving us through the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Thank you for loving my children. For supporting my husband. And just for giving us an opportunity. Amen. Yeah. We love y'all. Yeah. We love them too, don't we? You know, we've been talking through this whole process and didn't want to really say too much till we knew exactly what God was doing. But these guys have been with us for a long time. We were adding it up. They've been, they've been with us for eight years. That's really not that normal for somebody that feels the call to the ministry to, to stay that close. And it's, I, I won't, you know, we'll talk more about this on, on the, uh, the 19th, they're going to be here for a little bit, and, and we're going to send them off in right fashion, and so we're going to do a big reception following the, the service on the 19th. I'm going to let, turn Pastor Nate loose and let him preach on that Sunday, and, and this is going to be all about celebrating them. But, uh, you know, it was so funny. We were actually in the other building before the two churches came together here, and, and we were in desperate need of, a, of some kind of help at worship, and we found out about a, a young lady that could play the keyboard and sing really well, and it's like, can we borrow her for a little bit? Long story short, they connected and plugged in and became a part of us, and over the years, we've become very, very tight. There really is a lot of hanging out time together outside of the church here. And somewhere along the line of the journey, we found out that Nate was pretty cool too. <laughs> that even though his wife could sing, that there were some things he brought to the table. And uh, of course, he eventually became our associate pastor because I saw God's hand working in his life. And I knew that we weren't going to get to keep them forever. I hope so. I, I hope that they would be here until I was done and we could just let him kind of take it and go on. But I know that sometimes God has different plans. And this church that they're going to, believe it or not, through this whole time of all the stuff we've walked through together during this season, the church has had to do it without a pastor. And they need a pastor. And this couple is ready. When I was asked, I said, they're ready. They're as ready as you can be without doing it. And so I have mixed emotions too. I, on one side, I'm like, no. But on the other side, I'm a proud papa in a way. 
And we've made a deal. Either way, we're just a phone call away. Because they're going to run into stuff. They're going to be, now what do you do when this pops up? And there's going to be stuff with our computer systems and stuff. I'm going to say, now what do you do when that's acting like this? (laughs) But we love them and their family. And that's not going to change. Matter of fact, I have an open invitation to occasionally go up there and preach. So it's, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I would like Kim to come and join me. Let's just pray for this couple. I know this is a shock to some of you, but I'm telling you, it's God. I have such a peace. I am so excited for them. Not that I want them to go by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm excited for them because I remember for us, this step into this role, we had been at the same church for 14 and a half years on staff. And when God does that shifting and does that calling, it is hard. But you know in your heart that you got to go where he's saying to go. And that's where they're at. And I assure you, it is nothing more than that, that God has called and said, I've got a place for you. So would you stand and join with us as we pray for these guys? Father, I lift this couple up before you. Lord, I realize they're full-grown adults, but Lord, in a way, they're, they feel like a son and daughter in the faith. Lord, I am so proud of what you've done in their lives. And Lord, I know that you've called them for such a time. We just read the scripture. Lord, were you were you the one that calls pastors? And Lord, you've called them to step in and to pastor this church. And Lord, I am excited, Lord, that we get to send out this, this family. Lord, in a sense, we're getting to plant a pastor in a church that so desperately needs one. And Lord, I believe that these guys are the right people and you have called them and you've made that clear. And so Lord, we pray nothing but bless blessing over them and your anointing to rest upon them. Lord, I pray that as they step into this role, Lord, that they will walk in an anointing unlike anything that they've ever known, that your hand will be lead them. Lord, that we will hear story after story of the incredible things that you're doing in this church that you're calling them to. And Lord, we celebrate, Lord, really, we're kind of planning, we're doing a church plan in Oklahoma. And so, Lord, I ask you to do this and to be with them and to lead them and guide them. Lord, be with their family and their children, Lord. Lord, their their children are like surrogate grandkids. But, Lord, we thank you for it, and we believe you're with them. We're going to love them, and, Lord, we're going to send them off in a right fashion. We're going to celebrate it, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Don't don't forget, yeah, yeah, bless you guys. Yeah, love you guys. It's, it's hard, but we're happy. <laughs> Don't forget uh, your tithing offering as you head out because we still got bills to pay during all this. But uh, God bless you guys, and thank you for being here. And give these guys some love.